Jesus died on the cross to disarm principalities and powers and cancel their power over our lives. I think you heard the announcement this morning. In July, Sunday nights, there are five in July. And we're going to take five Sunday nights studying demons, the devil, deliverance, and the children of God. And I get so many questions, and people have so many varying ideas, sometimes very strange ideas. Of course, I don't mean anybody in this church. Nobody in this church ever has strange ideas. But other, other places. About, about everything from generational curses to, to Christians being possessed by the demonic to hidden memories, things that you don't know happen to you but someone else can show you through the, quotes gift of discernment, and then you can figure out what kind of bondage your life is in, and territorial spirits that rule over different zones and different areas. And I, and I just thought, I need to take a, a stretch of time, and summer seemed like a good time to do it. I won't do it again for a long, long, long time, but I do want to cover those things in depth. So tonight, you know how you go on Google Earth, and you can do the view like, almost from a spaceship, and then you can zoom right in and you can go down any street in any major city and get really close up. This is the Google Earth spaceship, where we're going to just take a, a big overview of some of the same topics that starting, uh, this is the 19th, right? 26th, starting the Sunday after that, we're going to look at in real uh, detail on, on Sunday nights. I have three texts, and we're going to have to hurry. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. That's text one. Text two, Numbers 23, 22, and 23. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. Isn't that a great expression? For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? That's a fascinating text. Colossians 2, 13, 14, 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside seems strange for a holy God to do that. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Three texts. And each emphasizes an area of our warfare with principalities and powers each emphasizes a different area and they're like three legs on a stool. If you take any one of them away, the stool falls over. You need all three of them. 
The Ephesians text speaks of the ongoing battle with the powers of darkness. We, we don't run. We aren't fearful. We stand firm. So these powers are engaged in a particular way in the course of this age. Paul says these powers scheme. They don't possess Christians. They scheme. They're, that means their power in your life and mine uh, is limited to their ability to deceive and seduce. So your bondage to the enemy and mine is directly proportional to his ability to make me think untrue things true or his ability to make me doubt and ignore things that are absolutely true and priceless. That's what he does. He schemes. For sure, though, Paul says there's an ongoing battle. We need to resist. Resist these outward attacks of deception and seduction. The next text is from Numbers. Much less known, but very precious to the body of Christ. It's a story you know. Balak, king of Moab, he's worried because the children of Israel are encamped on the border of his land. The armies of Israel have just defeated the Ammonites, and Balak imagines he is next. This is that story where Balak summons the prophet Balaam. Remember? He summons Balaam. That's the story where Balaam's riding his donkey. Remember? Okay, good. And, uh, and so, anyway, Balak pays, hires, he hires Balaam to put curses. He knows that Israel has God's power and God's blessing. He's worried because Israel has just defeated the Ammonites. They're coming. He might be next. He gives money, lots of it, to Balaam. Come, go to the children of Israel and curse them. Put a curse on them. And he finds out something very interesting. Balaam says, there's no enchantment against Jacob. Please hear these words. There's no divination against Israel. You can't curse God's people. Did everybody hear me? You can't curse these people. There's no divination that works against them. These are God's people. You can't stick a curse on people whom God has blessed. It won't work. It can't work. It can't ever work. We're going to talk about that a lot. But for now, that's a very precious truth. The third text, Colossians, teaches so clearly that something dreadfully decisive has happened to those powers of spiritual darkness on the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, the words, same author. Paul writes Colossians. This is the same Paul who wrote those words in Ephesians about the need to resist and stand firm. These don't cancel those words out. But they do explain the nature of standing firm and our warfare. The Colossians text says we can be absolutely certain of this, that Christ's death on the cross has, past tense, has already disarmed these powers and canceled their power over us directly. 
Well, which is it, Pastor Don? Are we involved in this spiritual warfare? Or are these dark powers defeated? And the answer, of course, is yes. A wise Christian must learn to take all of the Bible seriously on this controversial subject and, and digest it. So we're going to look at these three texts tonight as quickly as we can. Point number one. Scripturally defined spiritual warfare extends in an ongoing way to areas of our lives, and here's the important sentence, where we don't normally factor in its existence. I've read those words in Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, you know, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against uh, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. I've read those words for years thinking that what Paul was simply trying to tell us is there are these invisible spiritual powers behind the outward events that plague and wear down this planet and our lives. There are enemies much bigger than the ones I can see, that the real enemies aren't physical and they aren't material. And I think that's true. I think those verses teach that. I doubt now that that's Paul's primary purpose in telling me about it. I think what Paul is trying to do is not just say, you know, there are these big, cosmic, dark, spiritual powers behind the wickedness in this world. I think that's true. But I think what Paul is trying to remind us, he's writing to Christians. And I think what he's trying to remind me of is... There are no insignificant spiritual compromises that I make in my life. That every failure to yield to the Lord thoroughly and completely, that every small uh, condescension into carnality, bad habits, what in another era we used to call worldliness... That everything that I think is only a small concession has serious spiritual effect and darkness behind it. I think that's what Ephesians 6 is all about. I think it's a wake-up call. When I make small concessions to increasingly common accommodations to self, I'm not just sort of acclimatizing myself to a different age. You know, mom and dad, they used to be more strict and standards change and now we're a little more lax and so it's really not that big a deal. That's the general tone of the age. And I think what Paul is saying is when I make small concessions to these common accommodations to self, I'm not just acclimatizing myself to changing cultural times. I'm not just becoming a little more sophisticated, a little more worldly wise, a little less legalistic. He says, I'm, I'm surrendering myself to more than I know. 
There are spiritual powers. That's what he's saying. And so this, this command of his in Ephesians 6 to stand, don't shift. That's what I see there. I mean, how do you win a fight by standing? Makes no sense. Except it kind of defines what he's talking about here. Don't bend, don't shift, don't sway, don't become wishy-washy, don't be nebulous, don't be vague. Stay in place, stay there, stay true, stay on track, stay holy, stay consistent, stay serious, stay diligent. It's not just about rules, Paul says. This is a spiritual thing. Let me give you, for instance. I think what Paul is trying to say in Ephesians 6 is spiritual warfare is fought not where we think it's fought. Not in some place, remote place, maybe where they're involved in witchcraft and you're praying with someone who's rolling on the ground and foaming at the mouth and, wow, spiritual warfare. But that behind the small compromises in this age, there are spiritual principles and powers at work. So here you are, and, and uh, you sit in the family room, and, and whatever you've got on Netflix or whatever video you, you watch. And we're all the same. Um, what you see, you watch, and you think, well, gee, that's not really very good. I don't, I don't like that. It doesn't look quite right. But, but it's, it's there. It's piped in. There's nothing else. We watch. We're entertained. And what Paul is saying is, Don, what do you see happening here? Do you see just a video? Do you just just see the company Netflix and what they can bring into your home? Or do you see principalities and powers? Because I think most of us would agree, we'd never kneel down, take your kids, kneel down in the family room, join hands, turn out the lights and just say, Satan, we just... Come into this place. We just give you free reign. We bow before you. Bring your power into our home. You won't pastor Don. Don't talk nonsense. And then Paul says, behind all this stuff, do you know what there is? There's, there's principalities and powers at work. And they want to shape the way you think about life. And they want to shape your tastes. And they want to make this compromise the first step that makes another one even easier. And if all you see is something external, I'm not talking here about demon possession. I'm talking about the way things that don't seem to have any spiritual orientation to them at all, those are the things Paul is thinking of as he writes to these Christians and says, you know, you need to to stand firm against things like that. Because they aren't neutral. That's what he's saying. Don't make spiritual warfare something spooky when it's intensely practical. It's it's close. Everybody understand what I'm saying? That's a very important point in that Ephesians 6 passage. Boy, would I like to talk more. Can't do it. Okay, we're just going to fly. Point number two, to focus our attention on the real battle of spiritual warfare, we have been freed in Christ 
Boy, I like this point. We have been freed in Christ from false fears and superstitions. I've seen something that concerns me a lot. I've seen it several times just in the last little while. I've seen, and I'll just name names. I've seen Joyce Myers, I've seen John Hagee, and I've seen Benny Hinn all call Christians in their crusades to the front and pray for their deliverance from generational curses. I've seen it. I said, this is the overview, okay? And we'll take a whole Sunday night and look at this. I wouldn't have been quite so disturbed if they had simply prayed for people who were afraid they might be victims of generational curses and and then had explained to them that these fears have been answered to in the cross of Christ. That's what we're looking at. The effects of the cross. That's what this series is about. But that wasn't the case. This wasn't an explanation of what Jesus had accomplished for them. It was a presentation as the actual moment of their deliverance at the hands, of course, of the TV personality. And it was at that time I began thinking about those words. In Numbers 23, I'm moving on to our second text. 22 and 23. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. You ever seen a wild ox and the horns? You ever seen, I was in Africa and saw the water buffalo and those big horns? Let me tell you right now, you don't want to mess with those things. You don't want to get that animal mad. That big bull with those horns, just stay clear. And this is, this is the prophet saying, this is how God works for his people. He's like that wild ox with those great big horns. And then it continues. For, so this is related, the strength of the Lord, something he has done in his might. For, there's no enchantment against Jacob. doesn't mean Jacob the individual. Jacob, the descendants of Jacob. No divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what? What has God wrought? Not question, exclamation point. What a God! What a deliverance. So there are these two thoughts joined together. These people have been delivered from the bond of Egypt. It's mentioned in there. And because they were a delivered people, here's the point. Because they are a delivered people, they can never be a cursed people. They still have to stand firm. There's the work of the external work of temptation, deception, seduction. They still have that war to fight. I'm talking now about some inward cursing. This wasn't because Jacob, Israel, it wasn't because they were somehow special in themselves. It wasn't that they were spiritually superior, spiritually mighty. It wasn't even because they were numerous or powerful. It was because... Why couldn't they be cursed? Because they are a delivered people. They are redeemed. They are brought out of Egypt. Remember the Passover? They were a redeemed, delivered people. And the prophet says, so there's no divination against them. Somebody just say... Hallelujah. You know, that is, that is a tremendous truth. I apply it like this. Well, Pastor John, that's Old Testament. 
How can you apply that verse from Numbers and apply it to the body of Christ? I apply it like this. The clear, repeated teaching of the New Testament, I'll show you in just a minute, is that any blessings applied to God's people... I'm not talking about all the laws, ceremonies, regulations. I recognize the theocratic nature of a lot of those commands and how they don't apply today. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about whatever blessings, whatever blessings were merited under the old covenant, while they aren't always exactly the same in the new covenant, they are always, if anything, amplified and multiplied through Christ for his church. And that what I just said, is not some marginal truth in the New Testament. It's central, it's prolific, and it is repeated over and over again that God takes whatever blessings there were under the Old Covenant and they are magnified abundantly under the New. For example, Galatians 3, 7 to 9, 29. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham... And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So, So as the redeemed body of Christ, we don't get less than Abraham, not ever. We get infinitely more. As redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, not outward circumcision that identified, you know, family lines under the old covenant, but now redeemed by the blood of Jesus, God the Son on the cross at such great price, we don't get less than the children of Abraham did under the old covenant. We are now sealed by the Spirit of God. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. Brings us to the last text. The Colossians text. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. That's with Christ. Having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he's taken it out of the way. In what way have you failed Jesus in the last week? Every minute that you didn't love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every minute that you were covetous of some material thing. Every minute that you were distracted from the glory of heaven and enamored with the things of this world. Every time you were selfish, every time you were unkind. Every time there was something you could have done for the Lord and didn't do it. Do you see how these things pile up? There's something so wonderful, isn't it, when you read that he's he's taken that out of the way. He He just came and he just swept all that out of the way. Nailed it to the cross. Now, we looked at those two verses in this series when we looked at the demands of the law and the forgiveness we received. Tonight, we're talking about this verse, 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. When he refers to the cross, 
he speaks of it as a time when God disarmed the rulers and authorities. It's the same principalities and powers that he talks about in Ephesians 6. It's not rulers and authorities like governments here on earth. He disarmed them because the chief tool of the enemy against me, same as his chief tool against you, was the power that Satan had to justly condemn us through the whip of the broken law. And Paul says that it's that power that he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, that is, through Christ. Jesus said the same thing about his death on the cross in John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now, he's not cast out yet. And yet Jesus talks about, he still, ta- he still calls him the ruler of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He's still here. We still have to stand against his power to do two things. Deceive and seduce. Deceive and seduce. We still have to stand against his schemes. But somehow, our Lord himself said, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. What he means is, the cross of Christ permanently changes the status of Satan. He's still here. He flails and fights and tempts. But somehow his his head's been chopped off. So we need to put this together. If Satan is a defeated foe, is there such a thing, Pastor Don, as spiritual warfare? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. But it's now warfare of a specific kind. Satan's power is not exercised directly in Christian people. That's that precious numbers text and a host of others saying the same thing. That's why Paul says we need to stand against Satan's, depending on your translation, his wiles, his strategies, his schemes. In in the letters to the Corinthian church, he says we're we're not ignorant of his, and he uses this word, devices, his plans. So the enemy uses means. He uses means to reach people that he can't touch directly. Pastor Don, what makes you think the devil can't touch your life directly? I'll tell you what makes me think that. God's word makes me think that. Do you want some of the nicest verses in the Bible? If you've got any Bible in any form in front of you, open this up and get ready to underline something. 1 John 5, 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. That is habituated sin. But he who, has, who was born of God protects him, and look at this phrase, and the evil one, everybody say this with me, the evil one does not touch him. That's a good verse. We know that we are from God, and the whole world, the world, we and the world, we are born of God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Notice how John puts two sides of truth together in this perfect balance, and it fits with these other scriptures. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. At the same time, the evil one does not 
touch the one born of God. So there are external temptations that you need to be alert to. That Ephesians 6 text. There aren't any innocent little things that happen. The enemy is out to deceive and seduce and he works through all those things. Don't forget that behind whatever it is that's visible in front of you, there are spiritual powers wanting to corrupt your mind and heart. Don't make light of it. That's the Ephesians 6 text. Don't worry about generational curses. There's no divination against God's people. That's infinitely reinforced in the New Testament. The evil one does not touch him. There's a victory that's been won on the cross where guilt and the code, the law that stood against us, it's been cared for. I am so glad. I am so glad that there's no verse in the Bible that says... Greater is he that is in you than all the other ones that are in you. Aren't you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in... Yeah. Not that he can't work in your life from out there in the world. He sure tries hard. But not in here. It's where Jesus sits on his throne. And instead of the little picture that we used to see when I was in Sunday school, the little throne, a little stick man with kind of a crown on his head, and that was Jesus. You want a better picture in your heart, get a picture of this great, big, this wide in the shoulder, wild ox with horns. And he's just looking for anybody who dares set a foot in that place. I like that better, don't you? Let's pray.